You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan, and joining me as always, Squid. It's actually no one has, or maybe that's the other way around. Ricky Vive, how you doing, Squid? <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. And yeah, it's, it's pretty much Squid right now, but from everybody. Well, that. <laughs> Well, now, how's isolation going? How's the golf game uh, keeping? Well, not too bad. A little 79 today. It was, you know, a couple of bad holes. But other than that, it went pretty good. Well, geez. I mean, well, it's, it's we've, I, I guess our, for our listeners out there and maybe your viewers watching this on YouTube, we've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. So we're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. Uh, so please, we'd love to hear from you guys. If you can send us notes, we'll give you some information at the end of the call where you can contact us. But today we're back up and running and talking about hockey. But today we've got somebody who's joining us who star has dramatically risen in the last year or so and has been labeled probably one of the most influential people in hockey today. And I'm referring, of course, to the very popular host of Spit and Chicklets podcast, Paul Bizanette, affectionately known as Biz Nasty. Have you listened to these guys? Oh, yeah, I have. It's, it's crazy. It's funny. It's... Uh... It's a little, sometimes it gets carried away, some of, some of the guests and even the hosts, but you know what, it's fun. It's, uh, it's funny and, and, and you know, you love to listen to that sort of thing if you're an ex-hockey player, that's for sure. Well, you know, these guys are, uh, I mean, they're fantastic. I mean, they've set the bar for every podcast that's out there. So everybody likes to kind of emulate these guys to a degree. Uh, but we're going to have Biz on, and we're going to talk all about that. We'll talk about his career as a professional hockey player for, you know, he was almost uh, 14, 15 years playing uh, pro hockey. Uh, he's uh, got quite a resume, and his star, as I said, has risen dramatically in the last year. So we're going to get into all that with him. But in the meantime, all us hockey fans very excited about things uh, about to happen. Maybe we're, we're a week away from it all starting. What do you think about this whole setup with uh, the playoff play-in and playoff and that Stanley Cup finals being set up as they are? You know what? I, I think it's a pretty good idea. I mean, you know, going into the pandemic, which nobody really knew what was going on and everything, but uh, you, you had a lot of teams with 10, 11, 12 games left fighting for those last two wildcard spots. And I think it's only fair that you include a couple extra teams in each conference and have that play-in round. Um, unfortunately for the ones that were already in the playoffs, pretty solidly that have to play some of those play-in rounds, but at the same time, I think it's fair and gives those teams that were on the cusp of grabbing one of those spots an opportunity. Yeah, and I mean, I think that, uh, listen, uh, you know, it might be all sports. I mean, you can't afford to be out for long periods of time, so monetarily, it just, it just doesn't work for a lot of these guys. So, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see that with this pandemic, it's all new to all of us that they're trying to do something. And it looks like, I think Danny Chung and Bay have done a terrific job with the bubble format, the way they have it set up, the playoff format. I mean, I think it's excellent. And like, I'm really, I'm really excited. And I think that, uh, you know, the teams and the players all seem to be taking it very, very seriously. And uh, I can't wait for it to get started. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, you know, I mean, I can't wait to watch, but I mean, you'll be watching hockey all day too now, which is kind of <laughs> weird. But. I mean, that's the way it's going to be because there's games all day long. But uh, I like the way they've done it. And and basically from what I've been told and what I understand is that basically the players that are in the, the, the bubble in those two hotels, you, you don't go anywhere. You eat in a certain room. You have your roommate uh, or you're in your hotel room. You get on a bus. You go to the practice rink. You get on a bus. You go to the regular rink. So... I think they've done a good job. The NBA is doing a very similar thing. And, uh, you know, I, the thing is, is they're keeping safety of everybody in mind, the players and, and everybody else in mind. And I think that's more important than what they've been able to accomplish on the ice or on the court. So I think we'd be remiss if we did not, obviously, with being, uh, you know, Squid and Ultimate League Fan Show, talk about our guys and see how we think they're possibly going to do this. What's your thoughts? Well, I mean, it, 
You know what? This is this play-in round is kind of a hard one to to call. I mean, you look at all the numbers you want, but at the end of the day, don't forget these. All these players have been off the ice for what four and a half months or four months roughly, and there's not a whole lot of time to prepare. So it's one of those things. Is a short. I remember we used to play the best of five in the first round of the playoffs, and a lot of things can happen in a best of five. It's a short series. You only need to win three games. And, uh, you know, anything could happen. I mean, but I like our Toronto Maple Leaf depth, uh, especially up front. I mean, you've got three really good lines, and then you've got a, you know, pretty solid fourth energy type line. Defense could be a little bit better, I think, but. But all in all, they performed pretty good after the coaching change this year. And then uh, you got Frederick Anderson back there who, I mean, he he could be brilliant and, uh, you know, take them all the way to the finals. That's that's the type of goaltender he is. And uh, there's no, I guess, I mean, there's no crystal ball. We don't know how he's going to play. He's typically a slow starter at the start of every season. So, does that play into it? And do we have a Frederick Anderson starting the season kind of and starting slow? If that's the case, well, then they could be in trouble. But I, I like our depth better than uh, Columbus. Well, I mean, the thing is, everybody's starting off at even board. It's almost like training camp all over again. Everybody's in first place to start. I mean, you're all in the same building. There's no fan experience. There's no twisting one way or the other. So. I mean, it's going to be a very interesting scenario and the outcome I can't wait to see. So, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's going to be an energized environment all around, regardless whether the fact there's no fans or not. Once the pucks drop, it's another hockey game to these guys, and I, I can't believe they will think anything else. But, of course, we wouldn't be Toronto Maple Leaf fans if we weren't thinking the worst. So, you know, we do have to think that way. So we have to think the storylines that can come out of this are just endless. So let's talk about a few of them and throw a few out there, the what-ifs. Now, what happens, first off and foremost, to the team if the Leafs happen to lose to Columbus? Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen. Well, first of all, when you look at the new CBA that was hammered out recently, and the cap for all of it is $81.5 million. Well, you know, right away – you got four players eating up almost half of that. They're pretty darn close to half of that. And, uh, you know, they got to shore up their defense because I don't believe CC and uh, uh, Barry will be there. Uh, I think they'll be gone. They're free agents. They're both going to command a, a, a decent amount of money, which the Leafs can't afford. So uh, something's going to have to be done there. So, you know, is there a possible trade on the horizon if they don't win? even if they do win and lose in the second round, whatever the case might be, is there something down the road that, um, you know, two forwards go out for one defenseman or, or, you know, three for two or whatever the case might be. And uh, there's so many scenarios to, to play over in your head. And I mean, I wouldn't want to be Kyle Dubas right now sitting there with probably a hundred possibilities on a notepad in front of him trying to figure out which one is best for the hockey club. Well, you know, I mean, the thing about it is, I mean, with uh, Barry and then CC moving as we thought, and the defense is suspect, as we're all aware, and they are very much aware of it themselves. I mean, strengthening that is going to be paramount moving forward. So having said that, I, I, you know, to, to get back value, they're going to have to give up a lot of value because every, every general manager in the league, including Seattle's new manager, knows that Toronto is going to be needing a good top-line defenseman. So to give that type of player up, I mean, Tavares isn't going anywhere. You can't move Matthews. And then the unquestionable is that become the necessary evil all of a sudden then that Mitch Marner has to be part of some package. Well, again, there's, like I say, I'm sure Kyle Dubas right now has probably – and I'm just guessing, but I, I'm just, I would think, uh, because I was in that situation as a, a coach and a GM in the East Coast League, and you're always thinking ahead of what I can do to make the team better. 
he's probably got 25 to 30 scenarios probably printed in front of him and that he looks at every day and wonders what the heck's going to happen. Now he has to wait and see until this is over and free agency hits and does Barry leave or, or and CC or does he take a little less money to stay in Toronto? That might depend on how they do it in this play in and, and throughout the playoffs. If they get to the finals or, you know, who knows, win a Stanley Cup, they might turn around and say, you know what, I kind of like it here and I'd like to stay. I'm not going to make as much money, but maybe it'll give me a longer term. So, you know, there's a lot of fa- things that factors that'll play into whether or not the free agents stay, and that's how they do in the playoffs, I think. Well, let me let me step uh, let me throw this one at you, Squid. How about this? Well, let's just take it a little step further, and let's throw the, let's throw the caveat out there, which is the bonus for all for eight teams that don't make the second round or the play miss the play in. What happens if Toronto gets beat out and they win? You know where I'm going with this, and they win the lottery pick. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a kid theoretically should be able to step right into your lineup play probably top six position the level of player he's supposed to be and he's cheap he's on entry level dollars for the next three years how does that change the dynamic then well i mean that changes a lot of things i mean first of all he you know he's a winger uh he's a left winger i'm I'm assuming he could probably play center right wing from what i've been seeing how good he is and been told um, but you got a high end left winger there. So there's an opportunity to move someone one or two forwards uh, that possibly out of their top six and bring back one really, really, you know, franchise type defenseman. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that might solve part of the, the cap issue as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that's, that, that's the obvious to me because I mean, I mean that's that's almost a suicidal move on the manager's part if you if you traded sixteen and you didn't get enough back for him. I mean you, you might as well just write your ticker. I mean, you might as well go and line up to work in Chick Fil A or something uh, the other you know, next day because you won't be working National Hockey League long. But I think the elephant in the room is always going to be the salary cap, obviously, and teams like the Leafs, Tampa Bay, and it's funny because all the top teams are always going to have problems with the salary cap. They're always going to be nudging against it. So that's. That's not a problem. So in one way, it's a good problem to have, meaning you're a competitive hockey club. But this will be four years in a row, Toronto moving, not getting past the first round. So I guess where I'm going with this next is, does this force Kyle's hand a little bit, like Nick Robinson's getting a real good hard look in these skates. So does this all of a sudden encourage him or motivate him to move players quickly or a little quicker in a lineup they may to try and keep that thing under control. Because if this kid can play, again, he's on entry-level money, and he solves a big problem. Well, they all do. All these – the drafts are so important now. The development is so important. Because if you can have five or six or seven guys on your hockey club yeah. that are on entry-level deals, like, you're, you're – wow, you're in, a, you're in a great position salary cap-wise, uh, you know, if you got that, that's only five, six million dollars on your cap. If you have that many on the entry level contracts, now bonuses, I guess, kick in and count as well. But still, those the draft picks and the developing of those draft picks are going to be so crucial over the next few years because of the cap staying at eighty-one and a half million. And you know, the most the, the good teams in the league cannot afford. Uh, to keep everybody they have. They're going to have to get rid of some of their top players that are making big money. Well, I mean, again, we... Edmonton, Edmonton could be another one. Yeah. I mean, the Edmonton Oilers could very well be another team that could be in that situation. Well, the, I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, I, I, we've talked about this before on our, our, on our podcast with uh, Dubis, the wonderful job he's done. Again, with no salary cap in the minors, he's been able to bring all these guys in on those low average NHL contracts, like seven, 800,000 to play in the minors, like kids like Agostini and all these other guys that he brought in, he's built some real depth at that level. So, I mean, that's a good, though, I'm, I'm, and, you know, even Jason Spezza to a degree too, but these are all the guys I'm talking about. I wasn't for, I, Robinson is just because he's getting all the attention right now, but I'm referring to all those guys or it's, so it's the bottom three or the bottom six, or it's the bottom, or it's the seventh and eighth defenseman. 
those are the guys. This is where it's critical where the manager could make a mistake because you want to push one of these guys too far. But I think where the Leafs have a little edge is the fact they've got enough depth that if somebody doesn't perform, like Pierre Engvall is sitting out watching while Robertson's playing. Well, if Robertson slips, he's in there, and Agostini's staying on the sideline, and he can step in and play. He's leading the Marlies basically in scoring all year. Yeah, there's no question that they're, the depth that they have on the rod, the playoff roster for this year, uh, and I don't even, I can't even remember what the number is, but it, it's, what is it, 40, 50 players or something? Or yeah, 40. 40 something. Anyway, they're, they're, they're in a good, they're in good shape. I mean, they got some guys that have played well in the American League. They've got Robertson that we talked, we talked about coming out of junior who could probably step in and do a pretty, pretty decent job. Uh, is he ready? We don't know. We'll find out, I guess, yeah. uh, in short order. But, but the Marlies, they have several guys. Agostini, you mentioned, and a couple other guys. They got the, the Swedish defenseman down there and a couple other defensemen that I think in a pinch could step in and, and do a pretty good job. I, they may not be NHL defensemen yet, but I think they could step in and kind of fill a hole of the, the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth defenseman very, very easily. Now, before we get the biz, I think we're just going to, one more thing we'll talk about is, now you're a team that's sitting down two games to nothing in the play-in, and all of a sudden now, does it all of a sudden almost become the thought of process to maybe let that next game go because you've got a pretty good shot at maybe winning a big pick here? Do you think any, do you think, I mean, there's, those are all the conspiracy theories that are going to come out of this over, you know, some teams. But again, in this day and age and in a win now environment, we are in all sports. And this kid, Lafreniere, he could be a game changer. Is it worth it? I mean, no, I, well, in my mind, it's not, and I, I don't think the players would ever look at it that way. I don't either. Uh, no, I mean, you know, the, you want to win, and it's funny, I was looking at some scrapbooks last night, getting ready to get out pictures for uh, the book coming out in the fall. Um, nice, sliding by the a promo on the book. Yeah, well, you know, we launched early November next in the fall, and uh, but I'm going through uh, the, the book and uh, the photo album and, and I see all these pictures of my whole career and everything. And the last page is blank. And it says reserved for the Stanley Cup. That's how we thought. I'm pretty sure that's how they're thinking now. We, we don't want to lose just to try and get the first pick overall if in fact we were the team that, that got it. No, I, I don't get it. I, the one thing I will say though is, I think they're gonna, it's gonna be a little bit different for them going into this with no fans. And I, and I say that because my son plays in the ECHL with Cincinnati as a player assistant coach. They probably played the last hockey game, it was in Toledo, the night that the, the, the NBA were playing and then it was all shut down and they played without fans. And he told me, he said, didn't matter how the game was going or you're in the corners or battling. He said, it was really, really hard to get up and, and, and really, you know, get into it. He said, without the fans. So I, th- I think they're going to, you know, it's those games you get behind two or three goals there's no one there cheering, getting, trying to get you going. So I don't know. It's going to be, I think they're going to find it very, very awkward. Well, you know what? On that note, before we get to biz in the next minute, uh, what I like to say is for all those guys worrying about playing in front of an empty rink, they can come on up to Markham at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night and watch my team, the Duchess, play in front of the, uh, the rink rats. Okay. And all I can tell you is our team, they don't drink any less, win, lose, or draw. So, you know what, if that's the attitude the guys have to have, that's the attitude they got to take and go for the Stanley Cup. So, anyway, on that note, we're going to come back with Biz. Okay, Squid, so today our guest is certainly a social media sensation, to say the least, along with being also part of the popular podcast, Spittin' Chicklets, and also is the color commentator for the Phoenix Coyotes. But before all that, he had a long-time career playing pro hockey with stints in the National Hockey League, 
You played junior in the O, player of the game in the prospects game for Team Orr, couple under 18 gold medals. Man, oh man, what a career. And then Calder Cup with Manchester. We're going to get into all of that with the one and only Paul Biznasty Bizanet. How's it going, Biz? Well, first of all, two things. I only do these interviews because I like hearing my tires pumped right off the hop. So thanks for having me on. <laughs> and Rick, and Rick, a veteran move, and I do the same thing on our podcast, is I make somebody else do the intros because those aren't easy. So thank you very much for that wonderful introduction, Mike. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome, Biz. So to listen, um, oh. I mean, you're a guy who's constantly on the move. I mean, obviously, with everything you're doing. And I see you actually went on a trip with your girlfriend received to a pretty hot spot. But how have you been surviving the pandemic as a whole? Um, it's, it's been weird. I mean, you, you mentioned, and I'm a type of guy who loves being on the go. So anytime you're, you know, your, your life kind of gets thrown out of, out of orbit a little bit, and, and given the fact that I'm not necessarily a homebody, yeah, it did, it did a little bit. But uh, just trying to stay busy as far as shifting focuses on the podcast – uh, given the fact that there wasn't much hockey to talk about, we we dialed it back to one episode a week. Um, you know, it's it's not necessarily for me, Mike and Rick. I, I'm sure you can attest to this too. Is is the video games and the streaming is becoming more and more popular. So we did shift some focus to that. And uh, you know, there's just like underground world, and and you know, a, a lot of these kids are interested in watching other people play video games for whatever reason that is. It's essentially real sports for them. And uh, so we've been trying to open up that uh, that tunnel. So any anywhere we can open up avenues in, in the spit and chicklets world and grow the game, we're trying to do so. Yeah, you guys have been doing a phenomenal job, obviously, with that. I mean, it's, it's just remarkable what it's been what's been going on. But I would be remiss again speaking to pick, speaking chicklets, walking right into it. The name today, the juvenile side of me came out right away, along with every other guy, was Seattle's name, the Kraken. I mean, this is going to be. I mean, this this could be laid up on a tee for you guys with all the names and the fun you could have with it. Biz, I got to throw that one to you. Oh, well, I mean, we, we went through it when, uh, when the original expansion idea of going to Seattle came up and RA must have listed like 60 names off. And yeah, we were joking. I thought it was the cranking, cranking. And then they all <laughs> joked around about, about crank. Yeah. Cranking it. But, uh, no, I think, I think it's a great name. I really like the logo and, and how simple it is. Um, in, in the one, uh, anchor, they, they implemented the, the space needle in yeah. it. So they just yeah. like, there's a lot of thought yeah. that went behind it. And, you know, I think it's great. I think Seattle definitely needs another sports franchise. I'd imagine that considering they're getting the rink, an NBA team wouldn't be probably uh, too far behind it um, if, if they're looking to expand. I know they already had one, but uh, it, uh, it created the rivalry with the Vancouver Canucks. And I think at, at 32, that's the perfect size. I don't think you need to water down the, the league anymore. And, Rick, I mean, I'm sure you could attest to that. when You know, when you were playing, you know, I think teams – teams were a little bit more stacked where I think you don't want to water it down too much because you want more, more and more talent on each team. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, I think you want, yeah. Yeah. I think obviously parity, I think it makes the league a lot more exciting. And, you know, when, I mean, when I was playing 21 teams, you had four almost dynasties, so to speak, Edmonton, the Islanders, the Canadians uh, in the seventies. And, you know, I mean, it was the same teams year after year that were going to the Stanley Cup Finals, winning the Stanley Cup. So I think this is great. I think I love the parity. I love the parity in the league right now. On any given night, anybody can beat anybody. And uh, more than likely, this team will may not come out of the gates as good as Vegas did, but they'll be pretty close, I think. Uh, they'll do it right, and uh, they'll they'll end up with a pretty decent team. Yeah, Absolutely. Good ownership group as well there. Yeah, I think that's the, the, the whole key to that. I mean, obviously, with Vegas, the expectations are going to be pretty high from these guys. But dealing with what we're looking at now around the corner here, I mean, with the play-ins a week away, we've got, uh, you know, the NHL has done, I think, a remarkable job with the players and the owners coming together and working with this uh, CBA for the next number of years. And the great part about all is the Olympics look like they're coming back in 22 and 26 What's your thoughts about all this, Biz? I mean, I've heard a couple comments, but I mean, I you got to be excited. I mean, just overall, yeah, you you said it. Just these guys need to be applauded at the league, and especially using this time right now to not only figure out a way to get hockey back in action and doing so safely, but also using that time to renegotiate the CBA. Uh, of course, with with the, the the loss of financials, keeping the cap the same is probably hurting some free agents and, and a few other guys at that and maybe separates that uh, 
the, you know, the, the, the middle ground where it's a lot of guys making a lot of money and then, uh, you know, also a lot of guys making uh, league minimum. But nonetheless, I, I think Gary Bettman's done a tremendous job uh, just in growing the sport in, in general. Um, you know, of, of course, the $650 million expansion fee for Seattle is not going to hurt the finances there. And, and of course, the $500 million from, from Vegas as well. But uh, just, just over, and, and just how smart they're being about how they're bringing, bringing everything more digital. They're allowing the guys to show, the, to show their personality more, which, you know, if, if you have a little bit more of that old school mentality, I can understand it. But adapting to that new consumer and these younger people who are constantly on their phones, and I don't think just the game is enough where they want more and more and more. And I think the league is doing a tremendous job in, in giving them that. And really, I mean, I know David Stern and, and Bettman were close, and he liked to follow, follow a lot of the models that the NBA used. I mean, look at how successful they've been over the last 15, yeah. 20 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, that's right. I mean, I think that it's just been uh, wonderful the way they've done this. And we're going to get into that in a little bit, because that's one of the things I did want to touch on you about the social aspect of it and the player development and the player personalities. But before we sort of uh, tackle into that and dive into that, us old guys here, it's the play in now. Interesting dynamic with all of this, because... The one thing about it is if your guy goes out in the first round, and this applies to all of them, like, I mean, obviously, you get a shot at that number one pick overall, and that can change the complexity of every hockey club, win or lose. I, I mean, Toronto, Tampa being pushed up against the cap all the time are a couple of good examples, but this opens it up for everybody, don't you think? Yeah, this the, the first overall chick's going to be a game changer. I mean, I think he's, he's going to step right in and dominate. Um, as you said, all these teams, whether it's teams that need the help offensively and they have, do have room in the cap and, or like an example with, with, uh, Toronto or, or the lightning where they are against the cap. Now they have the ability to, to trade off one of their, their big assets and not really feel the effects from it. So yeah, that's, that's a great point by you. And, and I don't, I would imagine a lot of people weren't happy about the result of that, given, you know, the, how much, uh, you know, how much pain that the Ottawa Senators and the, you know, the, the LA Kings and, and Detroit. who else there and Detroit. Detroit, of course, had to go through this year, them more so than anyone. But, uh, but now, now saying that you, you create more content engagement moving forward because there's so much at risk here for teams to get out of this play in. And if they don't, at least they have that, that first overall to look forward to. Ricky, what do you think? Well, first of all, I, I, I want to go back a little bit to what you said about Gary Bettman. And I know uh, a lot of people say a lot of things about Gary and obviously he gets booed wherever he goes in the National Hockey League, giving out the cup and all that. But he's done a fantastic job for the, not just for the owners, but for the players as well, is growing the game. Uh, the revenues are through the roof compared to what they were, say, in the 80s and even the 90s. So I think he's done a fantastic job. But what does this say to you about what hockey players are like? And I don't want to trash any other athletes in any other sport, but how easily they talked and they massaged everything and made sure that this worked. How, like that, that says a lot about what hockey players are made of. I think. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and as you said, it's not necessary to bash other sports. I just think hockey players are just – you know, they're, they're softer spoken, uh, you know, they're, they're very respectful. And I think that at the end of the day here too, is, is they understand that it's hard to have an argument publicly when the minimum amount you can make is, is in the high six figures where the general public, they, they won't be able to reason with you. They're like, Hey, figure it out. It's billionaires versus millionaires. Whereas, yeah, that's, that's probably why they were able to get a deal done so quickly. Um, and, and given the work that Bettman's done, even if you are on the, the low end of the totem pole there, other than an e-bug goalie, because I don't think they're getting paid anything. <laughs> we're going to have to ask, uh, what's his name from Toronto there? I'm, I'm drawing David Ayers. Ayers, David Ayers. David Ayers. Yeah. Yeah. He might be but, making a lot now. But think about it. I mean, these guys have a great pension as well. And uh, when, when they renegotiated the CBA, when they went through the half a year lockout when I was playing, every player – if you play, every year you played after that lockout, you get $20,000 towards when you hit, I believe it's 62 years old. So if you end up playing five years nowadays, when you hit 62 years old, you've got a hundred grand coming to you every year. And yeah. I mean, you just talked about hockey players and, and you know how humble they are and, and how they can, how, how they can live. 
I mean, I don't think many hockey players are spending over a hundred grand a year. There might be a handful of them, but, and, and it just goes to the league minimum amount. I, I know when I was playing, when I first stepped in, it was half a million dollars for league minimum. Christ, I was filling water bottles. Gee, I was the highest, I was the highest paid door opener in the world that year. Okay. So it's, it's, it's an incredible what they've done. And, and it's, I think it's a testament to the players as well. And, and I guess, of course, we can't leave out the fans because what they have to pay for, for tickets in order to consume NHL hockey now, nowadays, it's not cheap, especially in Toronto, Rick, you know that more than anyone. Oh, boy. oh no, he was playing. I know that more than anybody does. I don't <laughs> pay for them. It, yeah. You know what? It's, uh, well, first of all, I'd love to make the, I would have loved to have made the league minimum that they have today. Uh, I think my highest was about half of that. And, uh, but, but you know what, that's fine. I, there's a lot of guys I know my age or even a little older that are real bitter at what players make today. And I had one guy and I, I won't go into his name or talk about him, but he, he was adamant about how the hell can they pay Connor McDavid 11 and a half or 12 and a half million dollars a year? And I said, well, okay, first of all, he's probably, if he's not the best player in the league, he's, he's pretty darn close. He said, how many of the sweaters have they sold? I said, there's probably two thirds of the league on any given night have five or six empty seats, thousand empty seats in their building. But when he comes, they sell every one of them. Yeah. So why shouldn't he make twelve and a half million? And I don't have a problem with that. I, I really don't. I these guys earn that money. They go out, they do their job. It's not an easy job. It's not an easy thing to do night in and night out. There's a lot of pressure uh, that goes along with it. And uh, but you know what? They I, I think uh, yes. they deserve to get paid what they are. Well, two things. He's the most electrifying player I've ever seen play hockey. It's yeah. it, what he can do and how fast he can move. Aside when doing from it. me. Yeah, bef- of course, aside, aside from, from you. But that's, <laughs> yeah. actually the, that's actually the second point I was going to make is for, for the guys who did pave the way and, and did it for a lot less and, and clearly I think people could see there was probably a lot more passion, at least at that time, involved for less dollars. Uh, you you guys are the legends. You guys are the ones who made it possible for us to make that type of money. And 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 if anyone says anything different, they're out of their minds. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, I mean, I think that's true. And I, and it's just each generation of hockey player that does that and lays the groundwork for the the next generation. I think that's one thing that hockey's done very well. Uh, the greed mentality isn't quite as prevalent as in some of the other sports. But again, we're biased for we think for hockey players. So one other thing I talked about now we for our listeners that aren't aware, Biz is actually. So I mentioned the beginning of his introduction there. I really gave him a good pump in his tires. Uh, the color commentator for the Phoenix Coyotes. Now, Biz, this is your first uh, playoff with these guys, isn't it? Doing your job as a color commentator? Yeah, I wasn't uh, able the past few years. Team wasn't as good, but now that we got Kessel, Hall, and, and uh, some young prospects who are chipping in like Connor Garland, uh, it, you know, it was a, a fairly successful season. They, they were going to have to claw their way in if they were going to do it the regular way. So fortunately for the, the 24 teams that, we're, we're able to participate in this year's they're going to take on the predators i'm excited um you know first starting out i had bob heathouse who does the the play-by-play for the coyotes helped me out a lot along with uh, tyson nash uh rick i don't know if you guys are familiar yeah, with yeah. him but yep. you know he had a, he had a solid career and it's funny we have extremely similar personalities and we actually share the the exact same birthday so he was a guy that you know, I, I, you know, he, he put me under his wing and, and helped me out uh, in my first year, uh, especially. I don't think I don't think the Coyotes won a game in regulation. My first twenty-one to twenty-two games that I called, and it was just one of these crazy starts to the year they had, and and they they they, they had injuries, they had terrible luck, and it, it was difficult because I, I I typically like to keep it positive, and I also know what these guys are going through because I was a player as well. And oh, I, I felt so stupid on the radio because I had nothing positive to say. And, and, but uh, luckily, I, I found my groove, and, and it's been a blast. I'm very grateful to have been given that opportunity for a team who I got to play with for five years and, and, uh, and, and get my feet wet in the media world. And, and, and they've, they've been great at giving me a long leash as far as to do the, all these other things that I've wanted to do. Well, it's great for the brand, too, for them. I mean, because, you know, the tie goes right to you and to them. So, I mean, I think it does help. And, again, that's – that's the branding, and I think that's one thing that Coyotes have taken notice. And, um, you know, I know my 
the, the coach uh, talks a good buddy of mine. And, uh, awesome guy. He lived through those 21 games. Like that was yeah. his introduction coming into that hockey club. And uh, he, that, he that was That was very difficult for him. And it, it, it was tough to see him go through that because, you know, given – you know, given that they didn't have a, a strong team in Tampa and then he, he was let go by them as head coach, but then had success as an assistant in Pittsburgh. I think he wanted to prove to, to not only himself, but a lot of people that he could handle it, but he's had a, you know, he's progressively been getting better and better as a head coach. And uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's done great. And, and, and going back to the comment about the, the brand situation and helping out the Coyotes you know, I was fortunate when I played here and they allowed me to joke around and be myself online just because it's a non-traditional market. And I think that they, you know, at that time, especially they wanted to try to attract as much attention to themselves as possible. And, and we kind of grew together. So that's on the social media front and for a Coyotes organization who I would say is, you know, probably on the, the lower end of, of the totem pole, given the entire dynamic of the NHL, they get like the third most action on social media. And that's popular because there's a lot of advertising dollars there. And if you can gain those, then you can transition that into playing players and and getting better development and whatever it may be. So they've been very open-minded and it's helped me out personally. And I think the organization a little as well. That's awesome. I mean, now again, uh, just getting back to what's going to be happening in the next few days, uh, with everybody starting fresh with a few months off and all the injuries have been recovered and players are feeling good, hopefully. And, it's a level playing field. Can we really say, or my thinking is, there really isn't any pressure on anybody really to win. Like there may have been sort of the beginning of the year, happy through the season. I mean, it's almost like now everybody's got a shot and everybody's got a, that second win. I mean, don't you see that? I would, I would completely agree, especially for teams where they, it looked like they were, they were on the outside looking in. Where I, I, To me, it's anyone's game. You don't know which guys were keeping in proper shape. Um, if I had to put one team under the gun, though, um, at least to go a few rounds. Uh, let me pick two. I think Toronto has yeah. to beat Columbus. Absolutely. And they have to show some type of progress. And if they don't do so, they're they're already heading towards cap issues given their, their young core group. And then transitioning that over to another team in Tampa who is going to, of course, have cap issues moving forward. And they've just – I mean, last year with getting beat out in the first round and getting embarrassed – um, they got to win with that core group. They got to get one cup with, with those guys, the, the Kucherovs, uh, Vasilevsky, Stamkos. And, and um, we were talking about it on our podcast, what's, what's crazy with their situation is, is a little bit unlike Toronto is eight of their top 10 players in Tampa have no, either a no trade or no move clause. So they're going to find themselves in a tricky situation and they need to take advantage of this whole, uh, this whole Corona cup. What's your thoughts, uh, Squid? Well, I, I basically agree. I mean, those are two teams, especially in the East anyway, the Eastern uh, Conference. I mean, they have to do something. And, you know, Boston's already won a cup and uh, in the last 10 years. And uh, uh, Tampa's been close. Toronto hasn't. Uh, Toronto's lost in the first round for, what, four years in a row, I think, now. And I, I think it's very important I think the biggest thing is, like Paul said, is that they got a lot of guys, both of those teams, that eat up a lot of their cap space. And time's running out. Time's running out. I mean, you can't keep those guys forever because they don't fit under the cap. And so it's 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 kind of at the point now where if they don't do it this year in the 24-team format, uh, they're probably going to both be broken up a little bit somewhat in some way before next season begins. And, and even there and, uh, you, 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 with the amount that they're spending on, I think Toronto right now, their top eight players eat up 77.6% of their cap. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. we've seen over at least the last 10 years, it's very difficult to, to win in today's NHL. If you're paying a few guys so much money because it's, it's such a team sport, especially come playoff time where it would be difficult for just a few of them to carry the load. Um, and now saying that the hard cap is nice for the parity in the league, but it's also difficult in a team like Toronto situation where they should be rewarded for drafting properly and developing properly. And all of a sudden by doing so, they find themselves in this type of bind where they have to pay them. And, 
you know, it's, it's unfortunate when you don't have certain guys taking team-friendly deals, nor do I think that they should be forced to because we talked about guys being worth the price of admission. Austin Matthews is, is that and more. It just it does make it more difficult in order to put guys around you. So I don't know if they're going to be able to address the issues if they can't get over the hump this year in the offseason given their cap situation. Well, before you came on, Biz, we were talking about just talking about very subject about Toronto and the fact is, you know, this could be, you know, this is the fourth year out of the first round, not not advancing, and you've got this dynamic lineup up front. You're going to lose two guys in the back end, probably in Barry and CeCe. Uh, you got a couple big names coming up next year, free agencies and Riley and Anderson. So the thinking is, is the necessary evil all of a sudden that somebody like Marner may have to get moved to shore something up in the back end. And you're going to have to make a dramatic move of some sort to maybe put this back on the right track again. I, it's, oh my goodness. I couldn't, like even ima- I couldn't imagine the uproar in Toronto <laughs> if they traded Mitch Marner. Could you imagine, Rick? People would be taken oh. to the streets. It but that's what I'm crazy. saying. It'd be, They're getting backed into it. It'd be corner. absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be absolutely insane. And I think that's why now more than ever and going forward, drafting and developing is so, so important. Oh, it's yeah. It's going to be the most important part of any organization. And, you know, because after five, six years, there's guys that all of a sudden are making too much money and you can't hold on to them. And uh, like, I mean, Austin Matthews, like what's going to happen at the end of his contract? That that contract brings him right into unrestricted free agency. You know, all of a sudden you got a cap problem. You might see him go elsewhere and uh, where they don't have a cap problem. So I've been tampering think, with him. He's coming to the Coyotes, actually. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep that between us, though. Okay. All right. Well, we got okay. We're going to stop that one right there, Biz. Okay. So, yeah. Biz, you grew up in Ontario playing uh, in, in, in the O, and you had some decent success. You're a good player coming up out of the Welland area. Um, first off, do you, cheer, do you cheer for Toronto growing up, the Leafs? Um, I, I cheered for individual players more so, more so than teams. But yeah, I, I was a fan of the Leafs. I mean, my father watched them all the time. I was a big Doug Gilmore fan. I liked the way the energy he brought to the rink. And, uh, I just, you know, I, I, I was a big Adam Foote fan as well. I just like certain players and, and the type of dynamic they brought. So, uh, yeah, I guess I could say I was a Leaf fan. I actually got a signature from Dougie Gilmore on a leather ball cap that my, my parents had got me for Christmas at the Penn Center in St. Catharines, and I had it forever. I had a Gilmore uh, jersey. So, yes, I, I would say he gra- I gravitated to, to Toronto because of him. Well, okay, so now and talk a little bit about more about some of your uh, early life as a minor hockey player before you got, including the O, like uh, kind of growing up? So I played in Welland, and um, I, I was often cut from the, the AAA teams up until I think it was t- till Adam Major that I finally made the AAA team. And I thought that early on it, it, uh, it was a good thing because I got to go down to single A. I got to be comfortable and actually get ice time and develop. I think so, so many parents and, and kids are so obsessed with maybe playing at the best level where – you know, that's, that's not always the route for everyone. And, and I was fortunate, to, as I said, to get that type of ice time, I ended up developing. And then Pee Wee Minor, when, when contact came in, that's when I really accelerated. And uh, well, in my, well in minor hockey, we had a lot of good players. Um, Rick, you might even know some of these names. Like Nathan Horton played with the well in minor hockey system yeah. at our age. Yeah. Jamie. We had Jamie Tardiff as well. He got a few games with Boston. Jamie Tardiff, yeah. Yeah, and, and actually my, my uh, draft year into the OHL, we had seven guys off my minor hockey league team drafted. And uh, it, was, it was very special to when I eventually got to the NHL, going back to Welland, we had seven players in the NHL from Welland at one time. That's a cool. town of 50,000 wow. people. So that just goes to show the development around that uh, time frame. And we were about all four years in age separation. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm forever grateful. We had a, a coach, Mark LaRose, God rest his soul. He passed away recently too. Um, he, he was a lawyer in town and he used to pay out of his own money so we could get practice time. He used to rent out a, a part of an old factory where we would go and shoot pucks. So we just, I think part of developing players is having a strong community as well. And, you know, I know, I know Toronto, how, how expensive it can be to get ice time and development, but 
um, we, I think we had the advantage there because we just had a, a lot of people in the community that cared and, and were willing to sacrifice not only their own time, energy, but also money. So I was uh, v- very grateful. So, Wacken, so continuing that theme, you got drafted in the fourth round in the 03 draft by Pittsburgh. Yeah. Coming from Welland, and it, it, the town is so proud of their players. And what they are. How was that day for you, like as a hockey player getting drafted? Oh, geez. Okay. So the, 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 the draft was in Nashville and I was actually projected, I think 56th overall. So back then they used to do the first day, the first three rounds would go. And then the next day it would be four through nine. And I think now the NHL's changed to only seven rounds. And, you know, I go there with my, my new suit and I was excited and I ended up dropping <laughs> to the fourth round. So I, I spent that whole first day with my thumb up my ass, Rick. And I was upset. <laughs> I, hey, I was upset that I, I, I didn't go, right? I, I felt like I'd let my family down and all my f- family and friends who had traveled to come watch that, and they could see how upset I was. But, you know, I, I wasn't a guy to sulk and, and suck on my thumb, so I ended up going out with all the guys who I'd played under 18 with yeah. um, and knew that night because they'd been drafted in the first two rounds, for, in first three, excuse me. And, uh, you know, we went out and got drunk. And I ended up, uh, you know, meeting a nice lady. And I, I played a road game, as they say. And I was roommates with Dan Fritchie. And he'd gone in the first three rounds as well. And he, he took off. So when I went back to my room in the morning and I woke up a little bit late, I had to go put my suit back on and, and go to the draft for second day. Well, what do you know? I changed out of my suit to go out the night before. My suit was gone. Thank God my mother had packed my backup suit. But mind you, it was a... It, <laughs> It was uh, it was a who shot the couch. This thing was awful. Okay, so I I used to I used to throw my my dress pants of my second suit in in the washer and then dryer. That's how that's how fucking bad this suit was. So I show up here with my hair uh, all curly and going crazy and in this terrible suit. And um, I was drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins, who I had a great meeting with. Um, I let I let out a big yell when I was drafted. I was so excited to go to that team because yeah. I had such a good meeting with them. And uh, I was, of course, drafted as a defenseman and uh, ended up switching to forward. But it was, it was a weird day in Nashville, but uh, a, a great one at that. Well, Squid, let's see you top that you know story. Your very, well, Your uh, yeah, very similar. Uh, in 1979, when I was drafted. When dinosaurs were on the earth. <laughs> well, there was a few. <laughs> um, what? The WHA was merging with the National Hockey League that summer. And that was a whole thing that went on for pretty much. So we had a, the draft was in August. And before, prior to that, you used to go to the Queen Elizabeth Hotel in Montreal, which you know how much fun that would have been, going to Montreal, the Queen Elizabeth Hotel for the draft. I heard it's a decent city. uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. It's, uh, but so, so it was a, (laughs) it was a phone draft. So here I am in PEI, and I'm at the fire hall, which they called it. It was a place where the old firemen used to go and, and, and drink, and sitting there with my buddies and, and everybody just waiting for the phone to ring and see where I was drafted. And so it was kind of different for, for me in that way. It would have been nice to be able – and it's funny because years later, Justin – was in 07 was in the draft and it was in Columbus and I took him down to Miami, Ohio, which is only a couple hours away for his, uh, I don't know what it was before they started classes. And, um, I said, let's go to the draft. Like he goes, no, no, no. Like Rick Kern was his agent at the time, told him not to go because, you know, he didn't think he was going to get drafted. And I said, let's go. I said, you're, you're going to get drafted and, and it's not going to be that, you know, it's not going to be real low, but it's not going to be real high either. And uh, I, I regret that day to this day because he was drafted 92nd overall, you know, which at the time was not bad. And, uh, you know, it would have been great for him to go down. Berkey drafted him in Anaheim and it would have been great for him to go down and meet the brass there and everything. And, uh, and we didn't, we didn't go because he was worried because his agent told him that he didn't think he was going to get drafted. Wow. And, uh, so I, that's one of the things I regret uh, to this day because I wish I had taken my son there and I would have heard his name 
and I could have, you know, he could have went down on the floor and met all the problems. Yeah. But, you know, I think I it's recommended though at, at nowadays, if you're, if you're not going to be a first rounder to, to, to not go, if you're not at least projected, but I'd have to agree with you, like regardless of me going in the second day. Um, yeah. That, that probably would have been a special moment for him, but Hey, I mean, Hey, maybe, maybe the luck of, of, of you guys not going is what got him drafted 92 overall. Though. Hey, better sign it. Better uh, signing bonus there, Ricky. <laughs> this one's for both you guys, this question. So, I've, I've kind of thought this through about players in drafts and, and, and you talk about the personal challenges players have and you talk about you biz and that this probably fits perfectly for you because you were drafted worse than what you thought you should have gone. Like a lot of guys would think, and that's a great Canadian attitude to have, but I break it down to three different sort of segments of your draft day, moving forward to your career in the pros expectations in your own mind, what you're thinking, what you want to accomplish reality, when you finally arrive at that camp, you look around the room and every guy in the room has got the same credentials or better than you. The room next to you is full of room with guys the same way. And then the third thing, survival. When it finally hits you, do I have to change my game? What do I have to do to do it? I throw that at you. Yeah, I mean, survival, I'll start with that one. That's definitely – that's a great word to sum up my career because I was drafted as a defenseman and, uh, you know, at first, they were so stacked on the back end, Pittsburgh, when I finally signed my contract and turned pro that I started in the ECHL. And, um, you know, kind of going back to that comment I made about going to play single A as opposed to triple A, it, it helped me. I gained that confidence. I ended up being a two-time ECHL all-star as a defenseman. But, um, you know, Rick, probably not as hard for you, but what I notice is that the higher you jump up, it's just the, the players are just so fucking good. And it was hard for me – to, to become a, a, you know, a dominant defenseman at the AHL level. And if, if you can't dominate the American Hockey League at your position, you're not going to go to the NHL and sustain a, an NHL career. So after going up and down a few times, you know, Pittsburgh, they called me back up to the American League that last time. And when I, when I got to the rink and my, my name, name and number were on the board, it was at fourth line left wing. And I think the no pun intended, the writing was on the wall as to like, if I was going to make it to the national hockey league, I knew what I was going to have to do. I was going to have to transform my game to what I thought was a, you know, a, a defensive defenseman who could add maybe a little bit of upside offensively to, okay, maybe you could actually get there as a fourth line scrapper. And I, I fought a little bit in junior and a little bit in the ECHL, but my first two years uh, when they'd switched me to that position at the American Hockey League level, I thought, fought 30 times back-to-back, -back, and I was fighting heavyweights. I was getting my fucking eyes pumped in, Rick. It was, it, it was hell. But did I want to play in the NHL or not? And I did it, and eventually I got to play my first game with the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, and it was, it, was, it was surreal. I got to play with Evgeny Malkin, Sidney Crosby, um, Fleury, Latang, like you, you name it, like legends. And, and uh, I got to spend a half a season with that team and it, it was incredible. Okay. So Squid, that was a pretty interesting guest. The old Bisbee, he's <laughs> quite the character, isn't he? Well, he certainly is. And, uh, you know, I like the fact that he's gone through every level, you know, the, the ECHL, the American Hockey League, the National Hockey League, and survived in the NHL for you know, a bunch of years, but has made something out of his career after hockey. And, uh, you know, I, it's funny because I live in Niagara Falls now, not, not that far from Welland. I run into people all the time and uh, they talk about what a great individual he is and what a, a lot of the great things he does for his, his community at home here. And, uh, you know, I've heard nothing but wonderful things about Biz from a lot of people in the area, in the Niagara area. Yeah, I mean, he's created a brand. It's, uh, I think it's great for the game of hockey. It's, uh, you know, it puts it out there. It, it, it shows the lighter side. It is a form of entertainment. I mean, I know people from our era, we're all about wins and losses. And if we went entertainment, you'd go to a comedy club. But, you know, the game has changed so much. And the way it is in today's, it's all about branding. It's all about being out there and being permanently in people's sort of faces, if you will, or in their phone. And these guys just have reached an audience because you know what? They're down to earth and people can relate to them, even though they played at a higher, much higher level than everybody else. Like a lot of most of their listeners, the guys they bring on, they talk and they're also grounded and they just tell real stories. Well, they're, 
I think as he, he said it best, and, and it's, he's absolutely right. I mean, and it was even more so back when I played. Uh, there was more characters. Uh, and I mean, I don't mean guys that ca- everybody had character yeah. back in those days when he played, and they do today as well. But it's different. I mean, obviously, because of cell phones and pictures, they can take the phones and tape the uh, videos and everything else. Everybody pretty quiet, stayed to themselves. But there was a lot of really funny characters when, when I played and when he played. And that's why I think they do it, because they want everybody to know what it was like back then and listen to the stories that these guys are telling about what happened back in, in the 80s or, or in the 90s or in the 2000s, you know, so uh, when everything was much, much different than it is now. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I think I think it's great. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think it's uh, outstanding. I think it's, it's given hockey another sort of boost. And it's done, it's done so humbly, as I've said a, a couple of times already. That's what people can resonate with. And that's why people like it. It's not all sort of bright. Like, I had a laugh the other day when, um, uh, what's with Mahomes, signs a $500 million contract. And he was serious <laughs> when one of their top, defensive end signed a long-term contract and that was one of their key signings and he made a comment I left some on the table for you so we can get this done and let's go and get it again 500 million dollars and he left something on the table for him like don't open up your shirt your heart will fall out I mean what the hell is all that yeah really yeah Uh, really like just agreed and just the way these guys are today whereas hockey players I don't know they're the best well it's funny because I believe that wholeheartedly and I just think hockey players are, uh, I don't know what, is, what, the, what the proper word to use would be, but they're, they're down to earth. They're not greedy. They want to play. They want to win. And they're always, you know, with their buddies that are on the same team. And there's no animosity, it seems, in a game of hockey. I mean, there's Connor David is probably not, or, or anybody below him is not greedy and pissed off because what he makes. No, they're happy for him because the more he makes, that's the more they're going to make. So, Absolutely. But, you know, but you look at what, what, when they're at the All-Star game, how much fun these guys are all having together. I mean, it's incredible. And uh, when I was, went to All-Star games, it was actually hitting in the games. And, you know, guys wanted to win the game. And, now it's just, it's fun. And they, that's when you see a little bit of the character of these guys coming out is at the All-Star game uh, every year. And that's, that's kind of one of the things that I like to watch because you do see the character of some of these players in today's game. Well, not last season, the season before, the full, last full season they have when I followed the Leafs Derby game. The one, one of our highlights of the, the season was me for when they went to Minnesota. And they had the Gardner Classic where they played in the outdoor rink. And the rink is right across from the XL Center. And it's just this tiny little rink, like an outdoor hockey rink. There's little kiosks besides it sells hot dogs and drinks and stuff like that. And there's a spot to benches to put your skates on. And, you know, if they play shinny, they're playing shinny. But the players played an outdoor game three on three, a little mini tournament. So I walked over to watch it. And there wasn't a greater feeling. I remember it was the November 30th. And it was a crisp, cool day. So you can see your breath and you come around the corner and you hear that clanging of pucks off the boards, skates cutting the ice, players' voices. And then all of a sudden you see the players skating around, they can see their breath. And it's just one of those moments that just captured you to go, it was so Canadian. It was just should have been wrapped in a Canadian flag. And the best part of the whole night or the day that was in the afternoon was when the players were leaving the ice, they were stopped at the little kiosk and they have their full equipment on and their skates off and their helmets and everything still on, buying hot dogs and drinks. And there they are walking to the team bus, eating hot dogs, drinking their drinks like they're six years old again and just big smiles on their faces. And it was so captivating for me to look at that. It was just one of the most awesome moments. Well, at least they waited until they were finished practicing. We used to eat those Chia shows at the Quebec Colisee and the Montreal Forum before the game, three or four of them, by the way. Oh, gee. And uh, because they were so, they were so darn good. I mean, yeah. Uh, they, they were incredible. And uh, But you know what? It's funny. I got to play in the alumni outdoor game in Detroit at Comerica Park 
and then again in Toronto at BMO. And I got to tell you, it was two of the greatest uh, days of my life. Brought me back all the way to when I was a kid and played on outdoor rinks and, and so on and so forth. And it was so much fun uh, to be out there with a lot of the guys I played with, some of the guys I didn't play with, but played for the Maple Leafs at one point or another. And uh, I, I just had a blast. It, it was so much fun. That's awesome. Well, you know, we, we've come to that time again where time is not our friend, so we've got to call it a day. We had a blast today. We want to thank Paul Biznasty Biznet for joining us today, uh, full of great stories. Uh, we are going to release that one in a couple of days. Well, we should release it, uh, I think, on Saturday as we tape these on Thursdays. So uh, any of the listeners out there who want to send us questions, you can reach us at uh, my Twitter account is at at uleaffan, pardon me. Ricky's Instagram account is rickby. Uh, the Ultimate Leaf Fan is mine. And we're going to have a YouTube channel, Squid and the Ultimate Leaf Fan, soon. But for the time being, we'll just put them on the Ultimate Leaf Fan so you can go to that and watch it. Uh, if you want to send us a note, Give us some information or some critiques about what you're thinking of the show and any questions you may have for us, feel free. But folks, until next time, thanks for joining us and looking forward to the next one.